Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Atlanta Discussion Podcast Weekly NFL Edition. The full podcast is featured primarily on Anchor.com and the One Man Island website. I am Trinity Collins. Please visit my Instagram page at One Man Island underscore productions. And check out my website at trinity24.wixsite.com. That is T-R-I-N-T-I-Y 24.wixsite.com. And don't forget my YouTube channel. I have sports highlights, radio interviews, and more. Uh, we have an excellent show for you guys today. I have, by the end of the show, I'll be telling you guys three intriguing games that you, that you guys should be looking out for for this weekend, as far as the NFL. Uh, a keep to leave retired. Uh, is Bears head coach Matt Nagy on the hot seat and more? But first, let's get into the obvious. Let's get into the most recent game that happened yesterday night. The Houston Texans versus the reigning and defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs on opening night. The Chiefs won 34-20. Now the question is, what did I learn from watching the game? Well, first of all, one thing I learned from is that it's going to take some time for both teams to get back into the swing of things. Wasn't much for the offseason. There wasn't a preseason either. So it's not going to be as fluid and as an instinct as we all see on a regular basis like last year. But for one, one thing I did learn from both teams so far is the fact that both teams could not get over-the-top plays, anything like 30-plus-yard big plays like they were getting last year. But the difference is is that the Chiefs were able to adjust and Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson failed to adjust because of the lack of big plays that was afforded to them when DeAndre Hopkins was there. So besides Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills combined for four receptions on 10 targets and 45 yards receiving. This is the reason why everybody, and literally everybody, including your grandmother, literally went crazy when DeAndre Hopkins was traded for... David Johnson and a bag of Doritos. David Johnson did some good things in the first half of yesterday's game. But as the lead increased and they fell behind, he was a non-factor. Watson was running for his life. The offensive line gave him four sacks. The Texans look, looked like a team that needs to clean up a lot of flaws that I feared that they would have. Especially on defense. At one point, the time, time, the time of possession was 10 minutes for the Houston and 24 minutes for the Chiefs. The Chiefs used the lack of big plays to their advantage. They decided to get the ball to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who had a hell of a game. They decided to at least take what the defense gave them and started to matriculate the ball down the field 5 to 10, yard, five to ten yards per pass attempt because Mahomes didn't have a great game. And by the time the fourth quarter hit, it was 31-7, to Chiefs leading. And by the way, the, the, the Texans couldn't get off the field at some points during the game on third down. And that led up to four straight scoring drives. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the Chiefs, we'll talk about the Chiefs for a second, is going to be a stud. And he was the guy that I was most intrigued to watch going heading into this game. Because Mahomes, didn't let, Mahomes did not lap the board yesterday. But Hilaire, 25 carries, 138 yards, and a rushing touchdown. 5.5 yards per carry. Excellent debut. Very eerily, very eerily similar to Kareem Hunt's debut against New England on the Patriots opening night. I think it was 2017. So once again, Andy Reid and Mahomes, they done it again. They found another stud talent on the offensive side of the ball to 
at least take the place of Damian Williams as he opted out this year. So now you have another solid dynamic running back, and who knows, he could replace Damian Williams as a new feature back in the years to come. Now, I know Andy Reid likes running the football. I think because of Hilaire's performance yesterday, you're going to see him start using more of a running game this year. Because last year, I think they had like slightly above 1,000 yards, maybe less than 1,000 yards in total rushing between Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy, and maybe a third running back. But now, and, and we all know why, because Kareem Hunt was their featured back. And he was, their, he was like the most dynamic and threatening running back out of the backfield compared to anyone. But once he left, that whole running game and all, and all that, that, that aspect of, of their offense took a hit. Now they have Hilaire at LSU, and he's going to be a big factor, I think, for the rest of the season. Now Mahomes was okay. But look, this is the difference between a team that makes adjustments when their bread and butter isn't there. The Chiefs, the Chiefs, like the Texans, once again, could not stretch the field. A lot of them was coverage sacks, or at least, or at least they're forcing checkdowns and and underneath throws. But one, the one thing that Andy Reid, and this is the reason why he's one of the best head coaches in the game over the last, I don't know, what do you say, twenty years. Him and Mahomes sat down, maybe in the second quarter, and especially at halftime, it looked like, okay, we cannot, Tyreek Hill is not getting open down the field, Sam Timmy Walker is not getting up and down the field, Travis Kelsey is not doing anything, let's just run the football, and let's just, hey, if it's not there, you have, DeMar- you have Demarcus Robinson underneath, you have Hilaire underneath, and you're probably going to get Tyreek Hill underneath. So hit those guys, and we'll just slowly and methodically go down the field, and eventually we'll find a ways into the end zone. So that's my takeaway from the game, Chiefs 34, Texans 20. Now here, coming into next week, when it comes for both these teams, the Texans especially, I worry for their Week 2 matchup against the Ravens. Because if you allow 5.5 yards per carry against a team that's passed first, that doesn't bode well for you. If you can't stop the run from one guy against a team that primarily is a passing offense, against Lamar Jackson who had 1,000 yards rushing last year, uh, Mark Ingram, who's a 1,000-yard rusher, and a Chiefs offensive line that's very physical and will bludgeon you until, until the kingdom come, then you're in trouble. So I, I think my prediction will, will stand true. The Texans will start 0-2 this year. I'm, I'm predicting in about a week and a half. For the Chiefs next week, since Tyrod Taylor is pedestrian, he's a pedestrian quarterback, and Duran James is out, I think the Chiefs will have a more dynamic passing game in about a week and a half. And I think that since Tyreek Taylor isn't going to push the ball down the field, they'll have a good chance to go up about, about a few touchdowns by the fourth quarter, similar to the to today's yesterday's game. And I think the Chiefs might have might actually put up 30 against the Chargers defense, might win by two touchdowns or more. So that's my predictions for the next week for these teams. That was my, that was my review from the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up, coming up next... I'll talk about how the NFL looked as far as for the viewing audience, especially from my perspective. And I'll leave it at that. I'll be back in 30.
Alright, so as we all know that the NFL is back, but they're not back exactly how we all have known over the past 100 years of football. The fans are limited to 16,000, which is probably the amount of people that were there for the first NFL game in general. Uh, the reporters were not on the sidelines. They were asked to stay in the stands and report from there. Um, you saw pretty much all the coaches wear masks. Andy Reid was wearing a face guard. I got fogged up so much that it, I, I wasn't even sure he could read his own playbook. Um, other than that, like for, 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 first of all, the Kansas City Chiefs fans are childish as heck. And I don't mean that as disrespectful. I mean that as silliness. Like They had cutouts of some celebrities. They had The Rock from his 2003 Hollywood, Hollywood Rock days in the, in, in the WWE. He had Marilyn Monroe in her prime. They had Jim Carrey when he was doing the Elf. I think they had I think they had Rose Waldo out there at one point. I mean, if that's what we're going to see from every NFL stadium when the fans come back, I'm okay with that. I mean, it could cause like it could cause a lot of laughs. You know, you get to see some some uh, some celebrities, some some memes, and some other stuff. So. It's very cool to see that the fans are having fun, and they're very childish, you know, sometimes. But hey, it, it got me, it got me a little chuckle. It's really, really, really cool. Uh, other than that, okay, I don't know if the Chiefs fans were that loud at the beginning of the game, or the NFL actually pumped in crowd noise because when the first, let's say, let's say the first two drives, I won't use that. The first two drives, I it sounded like there was more than. 30,000 to 40,000 fans in the stadium. That's how loud it was from my perspective. And I was shocked because I was like, is the Chiefs Kingdom that loud? If, it is, if it's that loud coming off the TV on, on like with 16,000 people, then it must be insanely difficult to at least call a play with a full house, like 70,000 fans in the stadium. I mean, and, and they were scattered too. It wasn't like they were in one area causing all this wreckage. They were scattered around throughout the entire two layers of the entire stadium. Uh, the production looked fine. Once again, the reporters were in the stands. It felt like a game where... It felt like a game where, like, when a team blows out their competition and the fans are still in the stadium, but they're actually handed to the parking lot because the their team just got blown out. That's what it looked like. And um, honestly, the, the, the production was not fine. Sorry, not, I'll take that back. The production was fine. I wasn't... You know, thrown off about it. It looked like a regular NFL game that I've seen over the last eight, uh, ten years that I've been watching the NFL. I enjoyed it. It felt like there were a lot of people in the stands. Uh, the, the announcers did great. The players did fine since this is their first like real NFL action since uh, March. Sorry, since like February, February for at least any, at least for at least both of those teams. And look, it's it's going to improve. I mean, look. I think the NFL will get it right as the year go on. Now, the question is, will we have a spike in COVID cases for the NFL? That's one of the things that's been a worry for almost everybody who's played in the NFL. Because unlike the NBA, there's no bubble. So everybody's going to be traveling from cross-country, going from Houston to Kansas, from L.A. to New York, from Dallas to Washington. It's going to be a crazy time to figure out if COVID cases spike. But if they don't, it's going to be... I am, I'm enjoying what I see from the NFL from game one. I think it's going to do the same thing from week two. The production was great. Uh, they, they, they had a new graphic on the field, which is awesome. Which means that the... I don't know who 
think it was CBS that had the NFL Super Bowl this past year. So you'll get their graphic for uh, week one in the CBS 1 o'clock game. And uh, yeah, yeah, the NFL production for the stadium was excellent again. And I had no problems. All right, so let's go into some news for the Bears head coach, Matt Nagy. And cause I saw an article on the USA Today Sports edition of their website. And they listed five head coaches, including Nagy, that are on the hot seats. Matt Patricia, who I agree with. He has nine victories in two years. Doug Marone, who only has two non-losing seasons in his uh, seven seasons as a head coach in the NFL. Adam Gase, who, gets, he, who doesn't get along with his um, own players and his own coaches. And Dan Quinn, who hasn't been right since the Super Bowl 51 and when he blew the lead. But included in that group was Matt Nagy. A coach who has a 20-12 record as a head coach, a division title, made Mitchell Trubisky look presentable, and has only two seasons under his belt. Which boggles my mind because he won the division his first season under with Mitchell Trubisky. He should he needs a better quality quarterback. And what is with these teams that after especially their GMs or or presidents? After they make the playoffs and have a down year, they're going to put their coach on a hot seat. Not every, Look, you guys forget that Andy Reid took him like, I don't know, 20 years to get his first championship. Not every coach is going to be successful like this immediately out of the gate. You have, the, you have your outliers, but you also have you guys who, who struggles. It's not Nagy's fault that the GM whiffed on the QB. It's not Nagy's fault that Trubisky makes the wrong reads and the wrong decisions when he clearly, Matt Nagy as it is, Matt Nagy clearly, clearly draws it up for him to make easy completions. Man, Matt Nagy comes from the Andy Reid tree. He can coach. Here's an example of a coach. I'm only talking about a situation. I'm not talking about what they know. If one guy's a defensive coordinator, the other one's an offensive-minded um, head coach, or one's a special teams-minded head, um, head coach. All right. Here's what I'm saying. These two coaches, and I, I looked this up, these two coaches have similar situations, but were hampered by a pedestrian to an inefficient quarterback. The first is Dungy. All right, he had top ten defense for like every single year that was there. He helped bring some competitive competitiveness to a franchise that didn't have it for for at least five years. It's his first time as a head coach, and one. And the only reason why he was fired because there's a struggling QB based on talent, not because he wasn't good at his job, because he was the QB was not was terrible at his job, and he often struggled. Dungey had Trent Dilford, who we all agree is a terrible one of the worst QBs ever won a Super Bowl, and one of the most I think one of the most bottom third QBs of all time. Sean King is pedestrian and inefficient. Matt Nagy has Mitchell Trubisky, who's inefficient also, and Nick Foles, who can't stay healthy for an entire season and only worked in Philadelphia. This is, this is who you have Matt, Matt to work with. He's not a miracle worker. He only does so much. There's a reason why Andy Reid got rid of Alex Smith and brought in Patrick Mahomes. There's a reason. Because you, you can win some games with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, but at the end of the day, you need Mahomes, a guy that can rip it and expand your playbook. You need a multi-talented gamer like Deshaun Watson who can do Houdini-like plays that, that are not there. That can definitely get you guys in position to score some points. Because 
in an offensive playbook that's filled with smoke and mirrors, trick plays, protecting a liability at QB won't get you anywhere. You've seen Mitch Trubisky play. He's a pedestrian, if not worse. It's like a lesser form of Alex Smith. But only Alex Smith can actually throw a way better ball than Mitchell Trubisky. And he actually won a lot of games and was actually very decent to look at. He wasn't, he didn't, you didn't have to cover your eyes in order to watch him. So, if Mitchell Trubisky, huh, I wrote Michelle, said Mitchell Trubisky in my notes. If Trubisky and Nick Foles don't work out this year, go back into the draft and pick the right QB. Don't over, don't pick a guy that's, don't, don't overdraft and try to outsmart yourself. Pick the obvious. Just, just, just pick Trevor Lawrence or pick Justin Fields or pick the next top QB in that draft. Don't, don't reach for a guy like that can go in the second or third round. Unless you're in the third round. Because the last thing we need is more Bears fans going through more grief. And by the way, I'm not sure if you don't know this. The franchise is older than Betty White. The franchise, the franchise is older than that. And not one time have they had a 4,000-yard passer. It's amazing. All right, NFL News Edition, back in 30. Leonard Fournette threw huge amounts of shade to his high school, college, and former pro quarterbacks by saying that, saying that this is the first time that he's really had a quarterback as he signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have Tom Brady as their quarterback. Now, to his credit, dating back to his college days at LSU, his quarterbacks were Anthony Jennings, Brandon Harris, Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, and Gardner Minshew. All but one is actually a respectable starter in the NFL right now. So to say they're joining a Tom Brady-led Buccaneers as an improvement is saying the very least. But Leonard Fournette helps the Buccaneers a great deal. The only issue with this is that Fournette doesn't really catch the ball out of the backfield. And like like Sean McCoy does, and to a lesser degree, Ronald Jones does. Um, I think he'll have a big impact in the game this week against the Saints. And I'm not sure if he'll play or not because I think it, I think they might hold him off this week because he's still trying to get familiar with the playbook. But he'll be valuable during the during December and January if they have to travel to a frigid temperatures like Green Bay, a rain filled climate like uh, Seattle and the Eagles, very cold climate. So I think he'll be used in that situation. But once you get to December and January, when you really need a run game, I think you'll see Leonard Fournette take advantage in that situation. Uh, right now, Tom Brady has a lot to go for him right now. Tom Brady has three good wide receivers, two great tight ends, three running backs, a decent offensive line, and a potentially solid defense. So right now, the Buccaneers are adding talent like you added Madden. And it's very, very insane, to say the least, too. All right, so let's get into some retirement news. There are two retirements this past week, and one was a retirement that we all saw coming, but it's still sad. Uh, 
Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Ryan Shazier announced Wednesday that he is retiring from the NFL. He stated that it's been over 1,000 days since, I, since he got hurt on the field. And to lose a game in that way, I never envisioned it being that easy. When you play the game of football the way I did, you convince yourself you're Superman, that nothing can stop you. But then, the moment I got hurt, I stopped being Superman, and that was difficult to make sense of. Uh, Shazier turned 28 over the weekend. He has spent the past two years rehabbing while on the Steelers' reserve list, relearning how to walk, and in 2018, he started jogging. Now, Shazier said he plans to step away from football and see what else life has to offer. And to be honest, I'm just glad that he can walk. I'm just glad that he can do the just the average, everyday things that, that a person can do without a spinal cord injury. Because seeing that spinal cord injury, I am, my jaw immediately hit the floor and I was scared that he was going to be paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life, if not worse. So the fact that there's news of him feeling every part of his extremities and the fact that he was starting to walk and starting to run again really, really warmed my heart and and officially made me think that, okay, Shazier, retire right now. I know you didn't make it big in the NFL, but look, your health is, is your first concern. And look, now he can have a normal life, and I'm super happy for him. And again, you never want to see someone live a life physically less than the original selves. It breaks your heart. And seeing him smile, uh, taking the, and he's taking the next step in, step in life is very fantastic. And it makes you wonder, really, what could have been. Because Shazier was a stud at linebacker. And I believe that he was a captain. And not only that, he was the heart and soul of that defense. He was a captain. He, he was a guy that got everybody in the position. He was a part of a great front seven. And he was like he was like the Ray Lewis of that defense. Like he like that's how important he was in that defense. He was the rock. He was the Luke Keekly, the Ray uh, the Ray Lewis. The um. He was he was that guy, and when he got that when he got hurt, you knew the the Steelers were going to take a step back. And then when more news happened about Shazier, you're hoping that he can just go back to doing everyday things, and he was set up to have a terrific career. As a linebacker and as a stealer. But once again, he's doing everything he was doing everyday activities, which is great to see. And I wish nothing for I wish nothing for the best for him in his future endeavors. NFL News back in 30. Welcome back to the NFL News Edition of the Atlanta Discussion Podcast that's featured primarily on the Anchor.com and also my website at trinity24.website.com. That's T-R-I-N-T-I-Y, 24.website.com. Our next news story is another retirement. Aqib Tlaib, Wednesday, former champion quarterback, announced his retirement. Uh, The former first-round pick has spent 12 seasons in the NFL, Played for the Buccaneers, Rams, Broncos, and the Patriots. 
And I think he also has the most interceptions returned for touchdowns in the NFL all time. Uh, he played in two Super Bowls, one with the Broncos where he was a part of the no-fly zone in 2015 and his most recent appearance in 2018 with the L.A. Rams. Uh, he is one of the smartest cornerbacks in the league, the most athletic ball hawk cornerback in the modern NFL, and he has played with some of the smartest head coaches of all time, Bill, uh, Bill Belichick and Wade Phillips. And also, an argument can be made that he deserves a place in Canton, Ohio as the 11th elu- exclusive cornerback in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and by the way, he's also in that class of players. One of the things that I think helps his case is the fact that he was still producing at an all-time level as he was aging. So once he got to Denver and then he got to the Rams, he was still producing at an all-time level, which is very hard to do once you get older, especially when you're playing cornerback against seeing these young cats like Tyreek Hill. And now you have Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson DeAndre Hopkins, all these guys are very young and very fast and very athletic. And seeing him still hang with these guys towards the end of his career was very, very interesting to see. And I understand that these guys weren't in the league when when Keep the League was there. But the the guys that are like Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, Mark Ingram, sorry, not Mark Ingram, Michael Thomas, those kind of guys was that Keep the League was still hanging with during this during the, the tail end of his career. And it was very Excellent to see. Uh, I think from 2014 to 2019, which is six seasons, he played some of the best football of his career and was among some of the best and great defenses. And look, if you, if you remember, in, in his two championship games that he played for, the Broncos and the Rams, they, held a, they, 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 had, they allowed a combined uh, 23 points. They allowed 10 to the Carolina Panthers and they allowed 13 to the Patriots who beat them in that championship game. But the fact that you only allowed 23 points in your two Super Bowls puts you in that conversation as one of the best players on defense of all time. And look, I'm glad that he retired at his best. We didn't see him slowly decline and see guys take advantage of him and his age and his lack of will to play the football game anymore. Like we see, like I think Darrell Rivas had a big, a big downturn in his career that we actually saw live on TV. So the fact that the last time we saw him, he was playing at a high level is a great memory to have. It won't be tainted from bad play. Uh, He also has a new podcast out. He's enjoying life right now in Texas with his family. And I hope to see him in Canton in about five to 10 years as one, as the 11th cornerback in the hall of fame, or maybe the 12th. I mean, I think Lester Hayes is still waiting to get in. So hopefully one day a keep to leave will be in the hall of fame. All right. So let's get into some Packer news. Uh, the Packers face Minnesota Vikings on opening day. Aaron Rodgers believes his team isn't getting the deserved share of attention, creating an opportunity for him that he relishes in. He stated that, I think the beauty is there's a lot of conversation about other teams, whether it's Tom Brady in Tampa or the teams that were really solid last year. New Orleans, San Francisco, Seattle, Philadelphia, and Dallas with Mike McCarthy and what they've done with their roster. I like where they're at as far as a kind of flying under the radar, even though we went 13-3 last year. We've got a chance to prove what kind of team we're starting to be this season on Sunday, and I look forward for that opportunity. Now, look, Aaron Rodgers did the right thing, and honestly, on paper, you really think that flying under the radar allows you to do, allows you to really sneak up, sneak up on teams and, and, and like, in theory, 
it creates more of a motivation for you to take out the top teams in the league who you think you are equal to. But the problem I have for the Packers is I don't think they match up well with other teams in their own conference. I sure as hell know they don't match up well with the Niners. The Buccaneers, I think they'll have a tough time. The Titans in that run in that rush attack with Derrick Henry, I don't know. I don't think they can match up well against that running running attack. The Saints are a balanced offense. Drew Brees might actually tear up that defense. If not, they it's gonna be a tough task. The Bears, I mean they they, they struggled to beat the Bears, the Lions, and the, and the Vikings last season, and also the Eagles, who they who they lost to last year. So there's many teams that that's gonna give the Packers a rough time. And the reason why I think that is the Packers didn't get any better in the offseason. Their first three the first three draft picks. The first the first round draft pick, Jordan Love, is a third string. Second round draft pick, I think it was a running back, third string. Their third round draft pick, I think it was a tight end. Either a backup, second string, or third string. No, none of these guys are playing. And they got blown they, and they got blitzed by San Francisco. And your, and your first three draft picks are now you're going to play? You need immediate help. And you need top 10 level talent in the offseason. This is the reason why that I literally said that they had the most, that they had one of the worst offseasons. And they had least, like, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. They didn't do a single thing. You guys had a chance to get a number two wide receiver. I understand that Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, and those guys were off the board by the time you, by the time you even reached the 26th pick which you traded up for, and even if you didn't trade up for, you weren't going to get it at, at 30. But it doesn't matter. You weren't trying to get a number one receiver. You're trying to get a number two receiver. So anybody who's decent would have been a good player to go alongside with Devontae Adams and maybe even be a third option for against Alan Lazard. Or maybe you could have drafted an interior lineman so that way you won't get blitzed by San Francisco again. Or a middle linebacker to at least so we won't get to the second level. In theory... It's good to receive. It's good to perceive yourselves as overlooked and unappreciated, because it's a good motivator. But in case, in this case, when you're bringing back the same team that was okay, but the record was, the record was thirteen and three, but it was mostly like eleven and five, a ten and six kind of team. When you bring that kind of squad back, you're not going to see the same exact success. You might take a step back, which I think the which I think the Packers are going to do. I predict they will go that they're going to go eleven and five. Again, the Packers have a lot of question marks last year, and they were exposed by the Niners, and now they're bringing the same squad back, and I think they'll have the same results. They may not; they're not going to get to, to the championship game. They're not going to get to the Super Bowl. They might get bounced in the divisional round. Rodgers, if you really want to get back to the championship game and have a chance at a second ring, you need to activate 2011, 2014, 2016 God Mode quarterbacking. That's the only way I see you get back into the championship game. Unless you prove me wrong. I hope I hope it happens, but I doubt it. NFL News Edition back in 30.
All right, so here's some quick news. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, the loudmouth from Florida State University and who was among the one-shot wonders of the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars, he has now agreed to a five-year extension with the Los Angeles Rams, the team announced this past week. The, the, the deal is worth $105 million, including $71.2 million in guarantees at signing. Ramsey jumps from 31st to 1st in highest annual salary, landing at massive deal first contract following his rookie deal, which is set to pay him $13.7 million in its final year of 2020. The Rams were over the cap by a little over 600000 at the time of the deal was announced, per over the cap, with $36 million in dead money, which does beg the question of, Paying all this money while you have dead cap money is also very intriguing, but I'm going to leave it at that. So even so, it's money still well spent on a player who just two seasons ago posted a coverage grade above 91 per Pro Football Focus and was named an All-Pro in the same campaign. Ramsey's 10 interceptions and 49 passes defended in his career have helped him reach the Pro Bowl in each of his last three seasons. So he is now staying there long-term with Aaron Donald on a defense that needs a lot of help for a team that needs a lot of help. And once again, congratulations to another guy who got a lot of money. And hopefully he has a very excellent season. And hopefully the Rams actually have a decent season. Actually maybe gets the, gets back to the playoffs. I have them going at 8-8. Eight and eight. That could also change. But hopefully they have a better season than that. Alright, so let's get into the remaining news stories I have from the NFL this past week. This one is Cleveland Browns territory, primarily your favorite guy, Baker Mayfield, because the answer is year three looking to make the big strides that should have been made in 2019. Mayfield said this via the Cleveland Plain Dealer. He is out to prove I'm much better than what I've shown in the two years prior. In the 2019 season, the offseason, hyped with a lot of praise and a lot of expectations, the, the Browns and Mayfield did not live up to the hype, going 6-10. and 10. In 2020, the quarterback is seeking to build a booklet of, isn't, isn't seeking to build a booklet of excuses in case things go awry, not even the fact that he's moving into his third offense in three seasons. So the Browns kick off their campaign against the reigning AFC North champion Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. Mayfield said, we know what we have to do. We've installed everything. We're putting together a good game plan, and we'll have to be ready to roll. Everybody just has to go out there and execute it. It's not about what's happening. It's not about the adversity. It's about how you can handle those things. That's just our motto. I think the 2020 Browns will enter this season more focused, quiet, humble, and well-tuned. You saw poor, you saw a poorly run team under Freddie Kitchens last year. A man that has never coached an NFL game or has never coached in general as a head coach at any level ever. Not in high school, not in college, and certainly not in the NFL. And you know that the grounds weren't well run throughout the duration of the season. So, it's important for them to give the Ravens a near scare this weekend. I don't expect them to beat them. I expect them to at least give them a run for their money. So if they give them a tough go at it this weekend, it's going to really open some heads and open some eyes. And maybe this Browns team can actually do some, make some noise in the, in the AFC and, the, and, and in, in the NFL. And the way they can do this is this. 
They need to run the ball. One of the things that Kevin Stefanski Kevin Stefanski did really, really well with the Vikings under Kirk Cousins is the fact that he used Devin Cook and um, I think the other guy named Madison, the two, two running backs in Minnesota. Used a lot of running game and used play action, and it really helped Kirk Cousins and allowed him and the Vikings to get to the playoffs and win a playoff game. So Baker Mayfield is not that it is that the, the is not that far from Kirk Cousins as far as the town level. So Run the football with Nick Chubb. Run the football with Kareem Hunt. Use solid play action passing, taking, t- taking the top o- off the defense using Odell Beckham Jr. And use your tight ends and Jarvis Landry for intermediate routes. This, de- this team has the potential. Once again, it's the potential for this team to actually make some noise. And I think they can do it. And I have a good feeling about this season. Much more than I did have last season. I think this could be the year that the Browns could actually have a winning record and make the playoffs. But it all depends on how they play against the Baltimore Ravens this weekend. If they get romped, get destroyed, 45 to nothing, then I think the Browns need to look in a different direction. But if they get if they lose 24 to 18, which is what I predict the score will be this weekend, then I think the Browns could have a lot of things look to look forward to this season. Again, it all depends on how you play the top t- the top teams in your conference and in the NFL. All right, so I'm going to get into my final story for this podcast, the intriguing games. I have three of them. That's going up next, Back in 30, NFL News Edition. NFL Sunday is back this weekend, so we I have three intriguing games that you should look out for this weekend, and the first one is the Browns at the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's in year three. We will see more. Will we see more of an aggressive passing attack? Will it be more of a balanced offense, or will it be the same as last year? Those are the questions for the Browns. Kevin Stefanski is in his first year as a head coach, so let's see how he fares against a 12-year veteran head coach, John Harbaugh and a more complete team in the Baltimore Ravens. I'm going to the Ra- I'm going with the Ravens at, to win at home 24 to 18. Week 1 should be a rough for both teams, but I think the Browns will be better than last year, but the Ravens are vastly superior. The Browns will have a late touchdown with a two-point conversion to make the score closer than it is. So Ravens 24, Browns 18. Buccaneers at the Saints. Buccaneers added Tom Brady, so they are automatically a playoff contender. But in week one, I think the team that is, that is more well-defined and has a stronger chemistry in Sean Payton and Drew Brees is the reason why I'm going with the Saints to win this game. This should be the game of the week. 31-28 victory for the Saints. It's going to be a back-and-forth affair towards the downstretch of the game. I think Drew gets the ball at the end of the game, drives down for the game-winning field goal, and the home victory. Saints 31, Buccaneers 28. And the Cowboys at the Rams in prime time in the opening of SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. It's Mike McCarthy's first game since 2018. The Cowboys have added another wide receiver in the draft and have a loaded offense. There's a lot of pressure for the team to win right now. For the Rams, they have a lot of questions to answer. Offensive line, defensive 
defensive players besides Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And can Sean McVay adjust his play calling so that way this offense could get rolling on a consistent basis? I'm picking the Cowboys to win 28-20. I think their offensive talent talent from the passing game to the running game will overpower the suspect Rams defense. The Rams offense built off the play action, so if they can get the run game going, I think that they're going to have a chance to win, but I think the Cowboys are the superior team right now. So Cowboys 28, Rams 20. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Discussion Podcast NFL News Edition. I will be posting more of the old podcast clips on Anchor.com. There will be one or more selective clip every week on YouTube. Please visit my Instagram page at OneManIsland underscore productions. And also check out my website, trinity24.wixsite.com. Both of those links are in the description below. Also make sure to check out videos I have on my channel, One Man Island Island Productions. I have sports highlights, radio interviews, and more. Also, don't forget, make sure you pay respects to all the lost lives and the people and the family members, the friends, and more who were affected by the terrorist attacks on 9-11 in 2001. We We shall not forget that devastating day nearly 20 years ago. I am Trudy Collins. Stay safe, wear your mask, and I'll see you guys in the future.